Welcome to another episode of Ecoville, your weekly podcast that promotes environmental conservation. I'm your host, Nonsigele Lokwaka. From the 28th to the 30th of September, almost 400 young people from 197 countries around the world will converge in Milan, Italy, to attend the Youth for Climate Conference, which is a pre-COP26 event. In the past weeks, most of us have heard maybe in the media reports around COP26, and you have been wondering what that even means. Well, COP stands for Conference of the Parties and is the United Nations Climate Change Conference, which is held annually. And this is the 26th conference, hence it's called COP26. The summit, which will be held in Glasgow in the United Kingdom this year, is expected to be attended by countries that signed the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, a treaty that came into force in 1994. To explain this further on today's episode we're joined by natalie mangondo who is one of the three youths who have been selected to represent zimbabwe at the youth conference in milan firstly congratulations natalie on getting selected and welcome to the program thank you so much uh thank you for having me a guest on as a guest on this program and for the platform to share my message as i go to the pre-cop event can you please tell us about your journey in climate change activism? So, okay, so, you know, environmental stewardship has always been a part of my life. Um, from a very young age, my parents and particularly my father drilled the importance of looking after the environment into us. So we were never allowed to tr- throw trash out the window and our weekend activities and holidays were always centered around trips to botanical gardens and being in nature. And so environmental stewardship has always been a really central part of my lifestyle. However, for a long time, it was separate from my livelihood. And to be frank, I never thought it, uh, it could be a way to uh, make a livelihood or that I could integrate my passions in school and professional work with um, this component of my life that I'd grown up with. Um, And so I've had a very untraditional path into activism. I graduated from high school at the age of 16, and then I studied mechanical engineering at the University of Cape Town. Following that, I got a scholarship to study economics and and finance at the University of Cape Town. Um, And throughout my, my next degree, I took every opportunity to network and intern at some amazing organizations. And I was always drawn to those that were working in the environmental space. So once I graduated, I continued to work in Cape Town um, and I was working on energy, water services, water resource management and agriculture for building climate resilience. Um, Following this, I worked for a short time at the Zimbabwe Tourism Authority and now I'm working in agricultural sustainability here in Zimbabwe. And at the same time, I'm pursuing an MSc in economics on a full scholarship from the Southern African Climate Finance Partnership. So, you know, I don't think I'm the typical image of a young activist, but I do think there can be and that we need space for different types of activism. And for me, that means equipping myself as much as possible academically, professionally, and with real world experience in the key areas that I'm interested in and to one day be a policymaker, negotiator, or a development professional who speaks up for the vulnerable groups that I'm working with today. 
It's interesting to know that uh, you've taken your passion and incorporated it with your studies and made a career out of it. It's it's really interesting, hey? I mean, you know, I never thought I could. If I'm being frank, you know, I never thought, I never saw people who looked like me or people from my region uh, working in this space or people who are accessible, who are put up on platforms all the people who seemed to be making a career out of it, you know, were from certain European countries. And when was it? It was around the age of 16. Um, I was introduced uh, to um, this lady who works uh, for the United Nations. And actually, she's now the director general of the UN Environment Program in Rome. And she was the first black woman environmentalist, you know, who was working in development who I saw. And, you know, I took a, you know, a long path, but decided to make a career out of it. And somehow all the things from my life, from my studies, from my professional career are just really coming together in the last year and a half. So I'm just in such an exciting phase of my life where it's like, all this hard work where nothing was really making sense is now really paying off. You're being selected uh, to represent Zimbabwe at the conference really shows that your hard work is paying off. Earlier on in the introduction, I tried to explain the best way I could what a uh, uh, COP is. Can you please tell us what is the conference of parties? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you outlined it beautifully. Um, As you mentioned, it's a global event that's been taking place for nearly three decades, um, which governments from around the world come together and they try to force a global response to the climate emergency that we're facing. As you said, it's convened by the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which is the UNFCCC. And what's really important to us as a smaller and developing economy is that in theory, the poorest country's concern is the same as the waiting is the largest uh, country. And so decisions made carry global authority for a crisis, which obviously doesn't recognize borders. Um, So as you mentioned in the introduction, the 26th conference will take place in the UK in partnership with Italy. And this year is of particular uh, importance because it marks five years since the ratification of the Paris Agreement you mentioned. And what this means is that this year, nations must update their nationally determined contributions to increase climate ambition. And it's also important because it's the last chance for us to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And so this year, we need countries to be really decisive and very ambitious in terms of their plans. Well, you mentioned the Paris Agreement. Uh, The Paris Agreement, which is a legally binding international treaty on climate change, it was adopted by 196 parties at the COP21 in Paris in 2015 and entered into force in 2016. Its goal is to limit global warming to well below 2 degrees Celsius. How successful have countries around the world been able to implement this framework? Well, if we're being honest, the changes made so far don't put us below two degrees Celsius, and they definitely don't put us below the 1.5 degrees Celsius goal that um, 
small island states and developing countries have requested because we're the most vulnerable. And, you know, the latest IPCC report really outlined this and brought this to the forefront in a way that galvanized the public. And so that's why it's so important to increase ambition at this year's COP, uh, because for any chance of meeting the goal seen as essential to the, to the survival of the vulnerable communities and ecosystems, we need to make drastic reductions in uh, CO2, and we need to do it this decade. And we also need to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. And that's why uh, the idea of driving ambition is so important and so central uh, to this year's events. Some countries are struggling with full implementation. So what do you think is affecting the full implementation, especially uh, with countries in Africa? And how can these countries be helped to reach full compliance? Um, you know, coming from my background as an economist, I would say that we really need to uh, create incentives that support a low carbon a low carbon future. We need to stop subsidizing coal and gas, and we need to ensure that they pay the full cost of their destructive industries, including the negative impacts for health and society as a whole. And the most important thing for us to be able to make that transition for businesses, for governments, for um, individuals to want to make the change. As an economist, I would say is for climate positivity to be closely linked with profit. And of course, that starts on delivering, that starts with delivering on the 100 billion US dollar climate finance commitment, carbon markets and carbon financing to help the most vulnerable among us. I love your explanation and how uh, you are linking economics with failure for full implementation of the framework by uh, countries, some countries actually around the world. Uh, now that you've given us an explanation on what uh, COP26 actually is, now uh, we go back to the Youth for Climate. You and three other youths have been chosen to represent Zimbabwe at the Conference of Youths to be held in Milan, which is a pre-event to the COP26 summit to be held in Glasgow. Tell us about the selection process and why it is important to attend such conferences. Well, we submitted an online application uh, in which we detailed the ways in which we were working with and leading other young people in our respective countries to advance climate action, after which we were selected. And, you know, I didn't think I'd be uh, accepted because, as I said, I'm not one of the activists with a big platform or, you know, who work in the digital space that much. However, you know, as I was completing the application and I outlined the concrete things I actually achieved, both in my personal capacity, as well as in collaboration with others, I realized that the work I do is important and it is impactful. And, you know, this conference is particularly important to me because, as I said, I'm passionate about academia and I love research but it can be a really lonely and isolating space to work in, and especially in our region. Um, you know, we don't have these great and well-funded centers of climate change and mitigation, adaptation and development. And my experience, particularly in Zimbabwe, has been for sustainability to be an afterthought, you know. It's just a box that companies and universities have to tick off, but they barely really focus on it. And 
So I've really had to fight to make a sustainability portfolio for myself at the company I work for. And um, even in terms of my research for my master's in economics, it was nearly impossible to find a supervisor competent in the area. But that's another story. And my main point is that over the last few years, uh, trying to carve out a pathway for my work um, to continue with my work has been tough and it's been isolating. And so I'm really looking forward to be working with people who don't need to be convinced of the existential nature of this issue. So it's really a wonderful opportunity to be able to collaborate and be re-energized by this group of young people. And the capacity building and knowledge sharing that's already happened in the lead up to the event has already been powerful and, you know, very important. And these conferences really work as an accelerator for young people who might not have, you know, vast experiences, whether it's in education or whether it's in their professional careers. So it's really an accelerator for knowledge and capacity building. It's great, actually, to empower young people with the knowledge they need, especially in their activism. The youth event for this year will be called Youth for Climate Driving Ambition. What is the agenda for this conference? Okay. Um, So as I mentioned earlier, this is the year for nations to update their nationally uh, determined contributions. And of course, young people have a huge, huge role to play in this. And so they've divided our roles into four major theme areas, which are youth driving ambition, sustainable recovery, non-state actors engagement, and a climate conscious society. So the first theme is that of youth driving ambition. And this is just a matter of ensuring young people are at the forefront of conversations and have the platform skills and resources to be involved in decision-making surrounding climate change in a meaningful and impactful way, not just as tokens or people to stand up and take pictures with. And so the sub-themes within this are uh, youth driving ambition in at local levels, national levels, and then multilateral levels. And second, we have my personal passion, which is sustainable recovery. And so, you know, as um, COVID-19 has really presented us with an opportunity to change the way we do business, Uh, whether that's the rise of remote jobs or even the way we personally interact with each other. And I really believe that the greatest opportunity that it has presented is to align economic recovery from the pandemic with the goals of the Paris Agreement. And so the sub-themes within this working group are um, energy transition and green jobs, adaptation and resilience, nature-based solutions, uh, financial flows and tourism. Then the third uh, theme that we have is non-state actors engagement. And this just says that in order to bridge the emissions gap and enhance finance ambition, we need non-government actors to play an important role. And so the sub-themes within this are food, um, non-state actors in entrepreneurship, sport, fashion, arts, etc. Then last but not least, uh, we have the theme of building a climate conscious society. And um, simply put, uh, this is increasing awareness. So climate change isn't just an environmental crisis. It's a global health crisis. It's an economic crisis. It's a geopolitical crisis. It's a humanitarian crisis. 
And it's the greatest challenge that humanity has ever uh, faced. And so that means we need to bring our entire society together to solve it. And a solution in which we leave some behind just isn't good enough. And so this uh, working group will focus on building a society that understands and responds to this existential threat uh, with the with sub themes such as showcasing impacts and solutions, education, media, public awareness, and mobilization. So those are the four major areas we'll be concentrating on. Thank you so much for outlining all those themes. But how does the youth conference influence the agenda of the actual COP twenty six event? Mm. Well, the main goal of the event and what we've been working for. Um, on for the past six months is a document and at the conference we hope to you know make some revisions and corrections work together to adopt the document and that document is going to be brought to the 26th COP as well as other future international negotiations and UNFCCC meetings. Then additionally on the last day of the conference we're actually given an opportunity to address to address the ministers attending the pre-COP negotiations and so ideas so our ideas are going to be a part of the agenda at COP26 and we're also given the opportunity to talk face to face and demand for our voices to be heard from our respective countries ministers. Well there's usually um, representational imbalances so do you think that youth in Africa are given equal opportunities compared to use from other continents to make meaningful contributions at such events? I mean, of course not. And I wouldn't just say it's just people from Africa, but young people from developing countries, small island developing states, young people living with disabilities, young people who are less privileged, vulnerable and marginalized as a whole. And so I can give you a small example. Um, There are some people who, despite receiving this fully funded trip to Italy, to the Youth for Climate event, still can't go because they couldn't get a visa for various reasons. And of course, we know that people living in the global south are the ones who are disproportionately subject to visa restrictions. People from other more developed areas in the world can just go without applying for a visa. And so already based on that, we have less representation. Another, another thing is, you know, we had some people boasting about, you know, extending their time in Italy for holiday, while we had others just trying to raise money for cab fare to the airport and for COVID tests. So even within the climate space, just as the rest of the world, it's a case of the haves and the have-nots. And so that's why equity is also something really important to me within this space, Um, because I genuinely believe that the most vulnerable among us should receive the most support support, and that they should have the largest platform because after all, the most vulnerable are going to suffer the greatest effects of the climate catastrophe. So they deserve the largest platform and the most support and they're not getting it. How do you think these disparities affect youth activism in the climate change space? I mean, you know, as I said, Um, Growing up, I didn't see many youth uh, activists that maybe looked like me or came from my region or received support. And so that discouraged me. Luckily, I had, you know, a kind of 
environmental activists in my own home to keep me going, but not everyone else has that. So it's already discouraging from such a young age. Then once you beat all those odds and you get to the space, you still have barriers. And so that's why we need specific support for people coming from those vulnerable uh, communities. And that's why it's my mission to not just speak up for myself as someone coming from a developing country, but I'm also going to speak up for indigenous people living in Australia. I'm going to speak up for people living with disabilities because if they can marginalize those people, they'll also marginalize me. Well, I still want to go back to the Paris Agreement. Uh, Zimbabwe is a, a signatory to this framework. I wanted to ask, as Zimbabwe, have we been able to fully implement this framework as a country? Well, I believe our adaptation plans and our, um, yes, our national adaptation plan, as well as our long-term strategy, in theory, they're great. They're lovely policy documents. But as you said, what matters most is implementation. So there's been progress made. I'd like to see more made, of course. And specifically, as I said, in the, in the areas that affect the most vulnerable among us. So that would be energy, that would be transport, that would be um, waste management, and that would be food security. So I think we're on our way but we can always do more. We can definitely do much more, especially in terms of implementation. And another note on that is we need collaborations between different um, ministries within Zimbabwe because one ministry could be doing work to, you know, adapt to and mitigate climate change while on the other end, a ministry is contributing to climate change. So we need to make sure that we're not canceling each other's efforts out. I like that you not only speak of the problems, but you are giving suggestions for, for solutions as well. And lastly, as you attend this conference, what is the most important issue that you personally feel should be a headliner at this year's event? Okay, so that's not to say it's the most important issues, but of course, uh, what I feel is most important and most salient because of the times we're in is sustainable recovery um, as we come out of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so specifically, I'd like to see sustainable recovery in energy transition and green jobs uh, because about two thirds of uh, greenhouse gas emissions are linked to burning fossil fuels for energy. And so transitioning to a low carbon future starts with clean energy and One of the opportunities within clean energy is meeting our goals of driving job creation, especially for youth um, following uh, the the, the terrible recession that happened in the wake of the pandemic. Then my second uh, element of sustainable recovery relates to adaptation and resilience because we know most climate finance goes to mitigation. And, you know, over the last year, we've seen an increase in interest in uh, projects that do both mitigation and adaptation. But we really need to focus on the realities of uh, global warming facing us today. And we do that by increasing financing to adaptation and resilience. Uh, Because, you know, the 
climate change is changing faster and faster. And the longer we take to adapt, the more costly and difficult it's going to be to do so. And that's really about drawing inspiration beyond technology and creating nature-based solutions that allow us to restore ecosystems and biodiversity while always also having positive impacts for health and society as a whole. And then last but not least, uh, it's about financial flows. As I mentioned earlier, that developed countries need to deliver on the $100 billion climate finance commitment. And that's just the start. $100 billion is just to start. Thank you, Natalie. And thank you for coming to the program. Thank you for outlining the themes. And thank you for giving us an understanding of uh, the agenda of the youth conference and how it actually influences the COP26 uh, summit. Yes, thank you so much for the platform. I loved your questions. I love that they were so specific and, you know, keep doing the work you're doing. Your work is also really important. And I can't wait to see where you go with it as well. Uh, we actually have a very special announcement. Um, Natalie will be giving us a report while she's attending the conference in Milan. Uh, she will let us know of uh, the outcomes of uh, the meetings that they will be having in Milan. Uh, thank you again, Natalie. And uh, thank you again to our listeners. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, and follow us on our social media pages. Our handle is EcovilleZW on all platforms. Join us next week for another episode. I'm your host, Nonsigele Lokwaka. <laughs>